We're in Romans uh, 5 today. Is there hope in this life or is it only for the life to come that we have hope? Last week we looked at Romans 5, 1 and 2. Now I want to begin there again just to remind us these great truths that God gave us through the Apostle Paul. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's great news, isn't it? So we looked at that verse uh, last week, the uh, rejoicing that we have because of the plans that God has for us, which end in glory. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God that is all going to come about one day that's our uh, future hope but what about today what about now what about this new year we rejoice in hope of the future but what about the trials for today we eagerly anticipate glory in the sweet by and by but what about the nasty here and now How are we to view that? Christians can sometimes wonder about the blessings of God in the face of tribulation. Uh, Evidently, that was a a problem in Paul's day, which he is addressing here in the, the next passage of Romans. And I find it's one that is true in our day as well. Uh, we often face this kind of thing in the, in the face of sufferings and deep trials, not just momentary afflictions, but when you really go through the fire, it's kind of natural for us to start questioning God. How, how do we make it through it with hope? We all know that Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulations, And I think we are realistic enough, each of us, though we have a faith in Christ, to to know that we're not going to have a life without any trial, right? We don't expect that. And yet a curious thing happens. That is, when we actually start going through a trial, we might find ourselves asking, why? Why, God? Why, Why me? Why now? Why this? And is hope something that is only future in the next life? Or is hope something that can be real in my life today? There are some what I consider devastatingly false teaching on this subject uh, circulating in Christian circles. One thing that uh, this false teaching has in, in common, wherever it's coming from, is a, a low view of God and an exalted view of man. It's a, it seems to be the common 
basis for these faulty teachings. Low view of God, high view of man. But there are two um, errors that I want to just brief, briefly discuss that come out of that in regards to the Christian and suffering. First of all, is the idea that Christians should expect to have an easier life than non-Christians. And uh, sometimes that becomes a selling point. You know, if you want to have a life free of uh, trials and worries and so forth, you just become a Christian and, and God's going to bless you. And after all, uh, Christians are children of the King, right? And as heir of eternal life and children of the King, you're his prince or princess and, and life will be great and you can leave the trials and troubles behind. Uh, well, when someone buys into that, of course, there's disillusionment then with Christianity that comes along with it. Well, what happened? But Jesus never said, come to me so that you can have a soft life. Come to me so that things will be easier. But he said, come follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. God never intended for us to have our best life now. This is not it. This is not our best. The future is our best, what God has in store for us. And he doesn't want to get too comfortable in this present world and lifestyle so much that we would dread leaving here and going to glory. There's a continual reminder to us as we go through trials that this isn't the end that God has for us. Uh, paradise has been destroyed and paradise will one day be uh, restored, regained. But not in this present world. The second idea is that um, the solutions to trials, troubles that we go through are, are simple, easy steps. How to fix your marriage in five easy steps. How to have success in business in four easy steps. Just do this, 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 and this, and you'll have success in business. Well, there are steps that we can take. I uh, might prefer to call them biblical principles that if we follow these biblical principles, then God will work in our lives. Uh, God will enable us to deal with the trials in our lives successfully and victoriously if we follow biblical principles. But I wouldn't call them easy steps. In fact, what, what I believe Paul is presenting here in verses 3 through 5 is how to go from tribulation to hope in three hard steps. They, they may not be easy, but they're realistic, and they work. And if you're just looking for an easy way out, this is not going to work for you. It all comes down to uh, understanding what God has for us and our trust and commitment in that. So with that in mind, let's read verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Uh, we're actually going to take uh, two weeks to go through this outline. And in fact, I anticipate probably only getting through point one today. But it, it uh, calls for some pretty deep looking at it to understand what Paul is saying here. And we're, we'll begin with this point that tribulation produces steadfast patience. The, consider the part of tribulation in this. Paul begins verse 3 with, not only that, that is, there's more to life than just the, the end of life. There's more to life than just heaven one day. There's the present life too where we can live victoriously. So he ends verse 2 with, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And more than that, as the ESV says, or not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. So there's, there's more to life. The Christian life is meant to be led in the here and now. But this may sound strange to our ears that we glory in tribulations. Really? We glory in tribulations? Well, what does he mean by glory? Well, it happens to be the, the exact same word found at the end of verse 2 in the last phrase where it says, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The, the word rejoice there, in fact, some versions even translate it rejoice again in verse 3, but we also rejoice in tribulations. In the same way we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, we, we glory or rejoice in tribulations. Well, how can we rejoice in sufferings? How can we glory in tribulations? And why would a person do that? Well, that's what Paul is getting ready to answer and that we'll be looking at in these next two weeks. One thing to notice is uh, he says we also glory in tribulations or in the suffering. Notice that he doesn't say because of the suffering. Uh, every word in this section is important. We rejoice not because of the suffering. That is, we don't say, oh, thank you, Lord, that I broke my leg. We don't rejoice because of it, but in the circumstance, in the midst of it, in having tribulation, we can still rejoice. Look at Romans 8, 37. <clears throat> well, maybe we'll start at verse 36. 
As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not out of all those things, not escaping all those things, but in all those things, in the midst of those things, we are still more than conquerors through him who loved us. So it's not just getting out from under a trial or tribulation that is our answer, but rather while we are in the trial or the suffering, we can rejoice because of, of Christ who loved us and will never leave us or forsake us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now back to Romans 5. Not uh, verse chapter 5, verse 3. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or rejoice in sufferings, knowing, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. The word knowing there is also crucial. Uh, Look at how it's used in chapter 6, verse 9, for instance. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. So see how the, the verse begins, knowing this biblical truth, and there are different Greek words for, for knowing. This one happens to be um, one that has to do with, with understanding and a commitment to uh, a fact. This is not just a book learning knowing, but resting in a truth. This is, in this case, in chapter 6, verse 9, it's the theological truth that Christ rose from the dead. And the, what Paul is going to be arguing there is that how we view our life being dead to self and alive to God is based on not how we feel about it at the moment or not how we're necessarily doing. We might be doing not so good in our daily walk, but we don't base it on our feelings or our condition. We base it on our position in Christ and the settled theological truth that He is our risen Lord, knowing that He is our risen Lord. Well, see... If we base our view of life knowing theological truth and clinging to that with absolute certainty, the knowledge of faith, then there, there is room for hope to enter in. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing, having, having a certainty about this. So what happens when we, when we don't know in this way? when we don't rest on theological truth, biblical truth, well, we flounder in our Christian lives. That's what happens. We, we don't have any moorings. Notice that Paul doesn't say, uh, feeling that tribulation produces perseverance, like I have a feeling that it does that or feels that way to me. It may not feel that way to you at all. But it's not based on how you feel about it. It's based on what God says about it. And so which are you going to trust? 
how you feel in the moment of suffering or trial or tribulation or what God says about it. You have to determine in your heart, I'm going to base how I live and the decisions I make on what God says instead of how I feel in the moment. Because you know you've been through this when you've been in a, a really hard time that emotions can really go up and down all over the place, right? Uh, and you, you just can't make decisions based on them. So not feeling, but knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now the word tribulations here uh, also is translated sufferings. The, uh, the word actually has the idea of pressure, of a great deal of pressure. In fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. Here's Paul's uh, testimony, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed as we, we don't know what to do or what's going on, but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, and so forth. The beginning of verse 8, we find our word. We are hard-pressed. That's the word translated sufferings or tribulation in Romans 5.3. We are hard-pressed. It's like being between a rock and a hard place, we would say. We are hard-pressed, closed in, and we feel the pressure mounting on us. Let's go back to Romans 5. There are certainly different kinds of pressures that we feel and you know what might be a pressure to me might might not be the same to you or you might be able to handle it better or or vice versa we face different kinds of pressures in our life the the word translated tribulation or or sufferings meaning pressure is also sometimes translated anguish. It's one of the words used to describe the sufferings of our Savior on the cross, his, his, his anguish. Tribulation, suffering, is a fire that we all go through, some with more intensity than others. And the objective is not just to make it through the fire, but to make it through victoriously so the the part of tribulation is that it serves like a pressure cooker you can kind of visualize what a pressure cooker does long term pressure and heat applied Um, that's what going through a trial is like it's our pressure cooker but what Paul says here is significant that tribulation is not an end in itself 
It serves a purpose. It, it achieves something. By God's design, tribulation produces something good. Tribulation produces patience or perseverance. So we see the, the product of patience. Verse 3 again. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. That word can be translated, uh, King James says patience. Uh, New King James says perseverance. Some other translations say endurance. And I think all of those are, are adequate for this word. Uh, a literal translation for this word perseverance would be to stay under or even more literally, to remain under is exactly what that means. Perseverance is uh, hupo meno, you Greek students. It's to remain meno hupo under. It's like you're under this pressure, under this trial, and it's remaining under, the ability to remain under. And our, our first... Um, uh, reaction to tribulation of course is to get out from under it and often that's the wise thing if you see a car coming at you you might want to get out of the way you don't want to just patiently wait there for it right I mean in a lot of cases you it's true you want to get out from under but what if God has designed something for you to go through and he's sovereignly placed it in your life and it may not be a quick thing to get out from under but God is using that long-term pressure to build up character for you to be able to remain under. What, what happens is when we go through a trial and we realize God gave me the grace to come through this. Well, the next time you go through the same trial, you'll find you understand what it means to go through it. And the more you go through, it's like building up muscle the more you go through it, the more you exercise that, the, the longer you're able to remain under. So anyone can survive a trial for a few seconds, but it's when the trial lingers, right, when it stays, that it's a problem. So how we respond in those times of trials make, makes all the difference. Um, the poem by T.C. Hamlet, I think, explains this well. Two frogs fell into a can of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, croaked number one. Tis fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friends, goodbye, sad world. And weeping still, he drowned. But number two, of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. And while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes, I'll swim a while, at least he said, or so I've heard he said. It really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. An hour or two he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and kicked and swam and kicked, then hopped out via butter. So the one who was willing to stay the course, not give up in the midst of the trial, is the one who was successful. 
And that's what we find in the Christian life too as we, as we uh, remain under and trust God in the midst of the trial. In, even in the time of the trial, we'll have success. Uh, we all want patience, but we want it right now. And it just doesn't come that easily. A, a few years ago, I uh, read some information on a, a Chinese bamboo tree. Listen to this, the Chinese bamboo tree. The, first of all, the Chinese plant the seed. They water and fertilize it. But the first year, nothing happens. The second year, they water and fertilize it. And still, nothing happens. The third and fourth year, they water and fertilize it. And sometime during the course of the fifth year, in a period of approximately six weeks, the Chinese bamboo tree grows roughly 90 feet. So the question is, did it grow 90 feet in six weeks, or did it grow 90 feet in five years? Well, it was the five years. Because if it hadn't gone through the, the year after year of being, first of all, planted, but then tended and fertilized and, and cultivated and so forth, it wouldn't have made it to year five. And God has growth in mind for us and blessing in mind for us. But sometimes we have to go through a trial to get there to where the growth really happens. Um, remember reading a, a book on discipleship by Sanders who said um, about growth and the time that God takes in our lives. It all depends on what you want to be. Do you want to be a squash or an oak tree? A squash grows pretty quick in a season, but there's not much to it. An oak tree takes time to grow but it grows to be a sturdy tree. And do you want to be stable in your life, sturdy, fixed, unmovable in the Lord? That takes time. It takes giving God time to work and patiently watching how God works in our lives even through trials. So, in reality, patience or perseverance, endurance... It's something we learn and acquire through a long and difficult process called tribulations or sufferings. So how is it that we can actually rejoice or glory in sufferings or tribulation? Verse 3 is true because verse 1 and 2 are true. That, we're, that means... Paul didn't just write verse 3 out of nowhere. It's based on the truths of verse 1 and 2. Here, here's what I'd like you to, to think about in your own heart and mind now. Let's say you're going through a trial now, or think about one you've recently gone through, or one you might be anticipating in the coming year. Maybe I could lose my job or something like that. And if you were to list these things side by side on a piece of paper, you know, um, the, the trial that I have gone through or might go through, the, the suffering, and then the truths of verse 1 and 2 on the other side, and compare those. 
I think that's what we're intended to do here. So whatever your trial is would be on uh, the left-hand side of your page and the truths of verse 1 and 2 on the right-hand side of your page. So you got your trial in mind. That's on your paper in your mind, right? But now let's read these truths in verse 1 and 2. How and why could we rejoice even in that time of trial? First of all, we have been justified by faith. See that in verse 1? Therefore, having been justified by faith. Whatever this trial may mean in its temporal significance, uh, loss of health or, or loss of a relationship or loss of a job or, or whatever, a personal trial I might be going through, that, that pales in comparison to this, that, that if you believe in Christ, you have been justified by faith. That is great news. And nothing in this world is going to touch that truth. Secondly, not only that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We remember that Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But remember what he went on to say after that. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but my peace I give to you. We have peace with God. So not only do we have peace between us and God, but we have the peace of God that takes up residence in our heart. It's, it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, in fact. Peace. So we can go through a trial with peace if we cling to this truth. We have, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. Thirdly, we stand in the realm of grace. Verse 2 through whom also we have access by faith into this grace. And as we talked about that last week, that means in, into this realm of grace, like verse 21 talks about the same chapter, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not just active Grace, an act of grace. It is the realm of grace. We have access into this grace in which we stand. We stand in grace. Now notice this. We are in two things at the same time. We, we can rejoice in suffering, glory in tribulation, because at the same time that we are in tribulation, we also stand in the realm of grace and cannot be moved from that. Fourth, we rejoice in hope. Verse 2 again, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We know how the story turns out in the end. We, we rejoice that God is in control. He's going to bring us through. And ultimately, we will be completely healed, victorious with Christ. No problems or trials. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so instead of focusing on 
what's happening right now, try to take a bigger view, a, a bigger picture, an eternal view of things of what Christ has in store. Now, next week, as we look at verses three through five, we'll talk about present hope, not just hope to come, but the, how we can have present hope in the midst of trial. Part of it we've already seen. For instance, we stand in the realm of grace, but we'll see uh, even more next week as we complete this study. For now, let's have a word of prayer, and then I'll ask our ushers to come forward. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. <clears throat> Oh, Lord, we, we praise you so much that, that you have supplied everything for our life, not only for the life to come, that, uh, that life of glory in your presence, but also even for the present life. Even as we go through trials and tribulation here, you are with us. You not only died for us and bought us, but we belong to you. And you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for the cost of, of you providing this, the cost of the, the cross. And now as we, we commemorate that with this communion, we pray our hearts would be open to you and rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.